0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to in Apologetics. I'm so pumped you're joining us today to have Dr. Robert Larmer on the podcast. He's a professor of philosophy at the University of New Brunswick up in Canada. And today we're going to be talking about methodological naturalism and miracles. So, Robert, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm quite well. Thank you. That's good. I'm super excited for today. I just want to say, as always, with this podcast, it's brought to you guys. So if you value what we do, uh, you can support it at patreon.com, so she here apologetics. Um, you can support for as little as a dollar a month, and that'd be huge. But, Robert, it's your first time on the show. Do you want to talk a little bit about, like, who you are and what you do and just kind of, like, introduce yourself?
1: Yes. Uh, I'm a uh, philosophy uh, professor at the University of New Brunswick. Um, I came there in uh, – it's too long ago. I came there in 1986. And I've been there uh, since then. Uh, I'm currently chair of the department. Um, we're a small department, so we teach in a lot of different areas, but my areas of kind of specialty have been in philosophy of religion. Um, I've written extensively on uh, the topic of miracle with several books on miracle, and uh, I've also written quite a bit on... Uh, on uh, the intelligent design movement and uh, questions around philosophy of science. And uh, mm. I've done a little bit of publishing in uh, uh, applied ethics, especially business ethics.
0: Yeah, That's super cool. Um, to get things started, Robert, do you wanna talk a little bit about like, what is this idea of methodog- methodological naturalism?
1: Well, methodological naturalism, um, the term was first used by a philosopher called Edgar Breitman in a 1937 article. Um, but then the term uh, was kind of reinvented by a Christian philosopher at Wheaton, uh, Paul de Vries. I don't think he knew of Breitman. But what he suggested in coming to terms with uh, the relation between uh, Uh, religious belief and uh, scientific investigation is that people should adopt what he called methodological naturalism. So methodological naturalism uh, claims to be metaphysically neutral. Um, You're not uh, saying that you are a naturalist. You're not a Uh, saying as a matter of fact that you believe in naturalism. But for the pursuit of science, what uh, de Vries recommended was that you act as if you are a naturalist. That is to say, you presume that for anything that happens in the physical world, there is a natural cause. So what he was recommending is that scientists should recommend as their uh, prescribed method that... Any event they investigate, they uh, posit that there must be a natural cause. So that as a scientist, you could never posit a non-natural cause for an event. Hmm. So, for example, if you were talking about the origin of life, uh, you could never invoke a design uh, explanation. You would have to look for an explanation in terms of purely natural non-teleological causes and I presume that if in the case of say a miracle say somebody um, recovering very quickly from what was uh, thought to be a terminal disease say they recover very very quickly uh, that you would never uh, attribute that to uh, some kind of supernatural cause you would attribute that to some kind of natural cause even if we don't know what that cause is
0: okay so when we're thinking about like methodological naturalism what we're trying to do here um for someone that like ascribes this view is that when we're answering questions about the world like like why did life arise or how did this person's cancer go away or things like that the tools that they're going to use are tools that are devoid of like supernatural agency um and they're really going to look to explain things like within like the laws of nature or like whatever like the fundamental like forces of like the natural world are and that's kind of where it ends under this picture, is that right?
1: That would be exactly right. So um, suppose you are, uh, suppose you're praying and you feel that, uh, say an inner voice spoke to you and you uh, are thinking about how that should be explained. Uh, That would need to be explained in terms of purely natural causes. rather than saying somehow it was uh, directly, uh, say, a supernatural being uh, speaking to you. Or if you were to take, uh, well, this would be an extreme example, but suppose we admit or say that Jesus uh, died and in three days was alive again. Um, If you were uh, a thoroughgoing methodological naturalist, you would have to say that the only causes that we can uh, posit for that would be purely natural ones you'd you mm-hmm. have to say we don't know how this happened but however it happened there's a purely natural
0: explanation okay so what i'd like to do is i want to in a minute get into like some of the objections you've brought forward to like this view but first i just want to like paint a picture of like why would someone hold to this view like, why would people, like, be mythological naturalists?
1: That's a very good question. Um, and here, uh, just in case your listeners are wanting uh, to do some further investigation, there's an open access uh, article uh, I wrote um, called The Many Inadequate Justifications of Mythological Naturalism. And in that article, I go through the various uh reasons people have given to accept methodological naturalism and i critique them Um, i'll say something just briefly here Um, i think the best most promising uh justification of methodological naturalism would be an inductive argument uh saying well science has been very very successful in explaining things in terms of natural causes so, when we find an event that we don't yet have an explanation in terms of natural causes, uh, our past experience suggests that we will have one. Now, here in a response, I think what we need to do is make a distinction between uh, what uh, is sometimes known as nominological science and historical science. Um, nominological science has to do with events that are regularly repeated so for example uh, i live uh, near the bay of fundy and the tides come in and go out on a regular basis and nobody would be inclined uh, to say that that's somehow god directly doing it We would talk about that in terms of natural causes. Now, as a theist, I think that um, natural causes are secondary causes in the sense that their existence is continually maintained by God. But God doesn't directly, as it were, stick in his finger and move the water back and forth. Um, So God uh, causes the tides indirectly through the operation of secondary natural causes. So for lots of science, explanation in terms of God indirectly using uh, secondary natural causes works well, things like the tides. But when we come to uh, historical events that are not regularly repeating, that's not so clear. So for example, I once asked a biologist for a law of biology and the biologist uh, said, well, you know, life always comes from life. Uh, in our experience, living things don't just spontaneously arise. Okay? But we know that life had a beginning. We know that at one time there was not life and then there was life. Excuse me. I I'm, uh, I'm, i don't know. My uh, screen went blank there for a moment. Uh, uh, you're good. We, I, I can hear and see
0: you fine. So you're good to keep okay. going
1: um so when we come to explain things that uh aren't regular in the sense of being law governed it's not so clear that the inductive argument actually um, goes in the direction that uh, we should always posit a natural cause Um, because If we say that science could conceivably undermine a supernatural explanation, show that it could be caused in terms of natural rather than supernatural causes, then logically it could also go the other way. So let me give two examples here. When we come to look at the origin of life, we find that it gets harder and harder rather than easier and easier because we have come to realize just how complex and sophisticated life is so in darwin's time people knew about the existence of the cell but it was just a black box and they thought it was very simple what we know now is that the cell is full of nano machines in fact uh, people have described it as a factory and some of your listeners may have uh follow um dr tour uh, James tour uh, who has been investigating um, the origin of life he's one of the top synthetic chemists in the world uh, and he makes the point that the goalposts are getting further and further away uh, it's gotten harder and harder to offer a natural ex- naturalistic explanation of the origin of life uh, the more we know about it uh, my second example suppose that jesus actually did die and uh, three days later is alive again suppose that event happened Um, well two thousand years ago we knew a lot less about human physiology than we do now okay now the increase in knowledge we have of human physiology has not made it easier give a natural explanation of how that could happen rather it's made it harder so for events uh, called miracles and here we need to distinguish two questions Uh, we need to distinguish the question of did the event occur from the question of what's its explanation okay now supposing that certain events uh historically regarded as miracles that those events actually occurred we can ask the question whether it's the progress of science had made it easier to give those a natural explanation or harder so suppose at a spoken word jesus turned water into wine or suppose we have the resurrection well we know a lot more about the chemistry of wine than we did 2000 years ago that increased knowledge has made it harder rather than easier to explain how water could instantly turn into wine upon somebody commanding it. Similarly, we know vastly more about human physiology. That has not made it easier, but harder to explain how uh, somebody after being three days dead could come to life again. Okay. So in the case of events traditionally viewed as miracles, Um, the advance of science has actually made it harder rather than easier to give a uh, a natural explanation now this goes back to uh, I said the most promising justification of accepting methodological naturalism is the success that science has had in explaining things in natural terms okay well that's true for a certain set of events things like tides Uh, certain diseases but for things like the origin of life or the events uh, traditionally viewed by christians as miracles the advance of science actually goes the other way Um, it makes it harder less likely that there's a natural explanation the more we know the less easy it is to suppose there could be a natural explanation okay yeah
0: yeah, that area, no, but, that's yeah. very helpful. One distinction that you brought up that I think is super helpful for like thinking about like methodological naturalism and like um, its value or lack thereof is like you brought up the idea of um, like m- we should really like this is a really good tool and we're looking at regular events, like say like the tides um, yes. coming in and out. But when you get to non-regular events, like you brought up, say like the origin of life and stuff like that. That's when things um, get a little bit more tricky because we don't have like this repeated experience that we can like rely on to help like understand like the phenomena
1: and whatnot. In fact, we have the repeated experience that life does not just arise spontaneously. Yeah. Um, So if I run over a rabbit on the road, (laughs) uh, just leaving it there, there's lots, there's enough energy to rebuild it, but uh, it's not going to get rebuilt. And Mm -hmm. simply having a lot of time doesn't make it easier
0: because the rabbit just decomposes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For sure. So what I'd love to do now is kind of look at some of these objections um, that you've brought towards like methodological naturalism. And the first one is like the truth-seeking objections. Like what is this objection to methodological naturalism?
1: Yeah, the objection here is that suppose there are actual events that are caused by the direct uh, action of a supernatural agent so suppose uh suppose that miracles do happen miracles in the sense of uh divine intervention to bring about an event that nature would not otherwise uh produce okay um, now if you're a methodological naturalist and you've accepted that it's never legitimate to posit a non-natural cause as the explanation of an event, then even if such events occur, you're always going to be stuck uh, positing a natural explanation or saying there is a natural explanation, we just don't know it. Mm -hmm. Um, So accepting methodological naturalism guarantees that if miracles happen, they can't be recognized as miracles. So it guarantees say that even if uh, God intervened uh, in the uh, production of life, in the origin of life, or the development of life, even if God directly intervened to uh, bring those events about, that those events could never be recognized as instances of supernatural causation
0: hmm.
1: so instead of um instead of being open to the possibility of uh, some kind of non-natural cause your method uh, guarantees that even if such causes operate they can't ever be recognized hmm. and that's known as the truth seeking objection in some ways it could also be uh Thought of as begging the question. That is to say, you're making the assumption that any event that occurs in the world always has a natural cause. And uh, what is the justification of making that assumption? The other thing that I would say here is I think you can do all the work that methodological naturalism is supposed to do without having to buy methodological naturalism. I mentioned the example earlier of the tides. I don't need to be a methodological naturalist to posit a natural explanation for tides.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: And what's interesting is that methodological naturalism only ever seems to be invoked when people want to rule out something as unscientific. So uh, typically scientists don't use it when they're just doing you know, their ordinary bench science. Uh, they use it when they say, well, we don't want to take intelligent design seriously, or we don't want to be open to the possibility of the miraculous. Um, so methodological naturalism seems to be uh, an attempt to demarcate science from non-science and that uh, that attempt has been notoriously unsuccessful uh, philosophers talk about the failure of the demarcation problem uh, we often use uh, the term scientific or non-scientific in a very pejorative sense if something is scientific we think it's right if we say it's unscientific we think it's questionable so if we're using methodological naturalism to say that uh, the only kind of scientific explanation is an explanation in terms of natural causes then that uh, is a nice rhetorical advice uh, tool to just dismiss uh, somebody's uh, saying well i want to take seriously the idea of uh, divine causes
0: mm. okay that's helpful and i'm out for it because- I literally just lost power. Um, but then I've connected to my phone for the end of now. the end of what you said there. But I think it's helpful here, like just thinking about this, um, we're looking at methodological naturalism. What's happening here is, I guess what I'm trying to think about is like, you brought up a good example, of, like you can explain everything that a naturalist wants to explain in a lot of senses without being a methodological naturalist. You can explain the tides and things like that. Um, Anyone to more like tricky questions like the origin of life. It seems like I said, like that view just kind of rules out any sort of like explanation, like before even like, looking at the question. Because if you're a mythological naturalist, there's no way you could ever confirm or like point to like, there being like really strong evidence that like there is some sort of like agency beyond the natural world. Um, if that's the case, it's probably not a view that you'd want to ascribe to.
1: That's my criticism. That's uh, one of the criticisms of. Uh... Uh, we mentioned earlier the truth-seeking objection that is to say um it rules out um recognizing uh if divine if supernatural causes exist it rules out ever recognizing them so what methodological naturalism uh does is uh it puts a straitjacket on you in that uh instead of uh saying well i'm after whatever uh is in fact the case you're saying, well, I'm after whatever natural explanation I can give of something, whether or not it's the correct explanation.
0: Mm. So let's get another objection, Robert. Um, this is the idea of like, how does mythological naturalism uh, undercut one of the main justifications that people use for metaphysical naturalism?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and here, uh, if people want to look at this further, um, a good author to check out would be Stephen Dilley. Uh, I forget the, uh, the exact title, but in uh, a journal, Philosophy of Christi, uh some years back, uh, he wrote an article why a uh, philosophical naturalist, that is to say a metaphysical naturalist, shouldn't adopt methodological naturalism. And the argument goes something like this. If you ask somebody who is an atheist, a naturalist, to give a justification of their uh, position, they tend to give um, two big objections to to supernaturalism, to theism. The first is uh, based on Occam's razor. They say, well, there is no evidence... uh, for a supernatural cause and occam's razor says uh, don't multiply entities or keep it simple stupid uh, if a simple hypothesis will do the work then uh, don't multiply. don't uh, make a more complicated hypothesis so one great justification of uh, ontological or metaphysical naturalism is they say well there's no evidence of supernatural causation well the problem then is if you're a methodological naturalist you've adopted a method that guarantees you can never recognize supernatural causes even if they operate so the uh, metaphysical naturalist the philosophical naturalist says well um I'm justified in rejecting belief in God because there's no evidence for God. But they've adopted, if they adopt methodological naturalism, they've adopted a method that guarantees they could never have that evidence, even if it exists. Um, Is that making some kind of sense to you? Now, the second... We're having... uh, we're having trouble with, I'm not hearing very well, Zach.
0: Yeah, I, no, I, the problem wasn't you, I was on mute. When I was talking, I was on mute. Um, oh, okay. you're good, I'm going to keep going.
1: Yeah, um, I'm getting some freezing uh, on your end. Uh, am I coming through okay?
0: Yeah, you're good. I'll work on that okay. um, since my power went out. Okay. I'm trying to adjust to using my phone, but you're good to keep going.
1: Okay, now the second reason that's sometimes given for being a uh, uh, an atheist, a naturalist, is the problem of evil, that evil counts against the existence of God. Well, here, uh, philosophers have largely given up what's called the logical form of the of the problem of evil, which is to say evil is logically inconsistent with God. And they've adopted the evidential form of the problem of evil, which says, well, the amount and type of evil in the world doesn't absolutely disprove the existence of God, but counts strongly against it. Now, so it makes it improbable. Now here, uh, what I would uh, comment is that what is probable on one uh, body of evidence may not be probable on another body of evidence. Um, So if we have a lot of evidence for what seems like supernatural causation, this would uh, compensate or overbalance, say, the evidence from evil. So if we never had any evidence of what looks like supernatural causation in the world, The amount of evil could be taken as counting very strongly against the existence of God because we don't have positive evidence in the form of, say, miracles or needing uh, supernatural explanation for uh, certain other things, say, the origin of life. But if, on the other hand, there's a lot of evidence for things like miracles or needing God to explain certain events such as the origin and development of life then this needs to be put against the evidence from evil now the problem again with adopting methodological naturalism is it doesn't allow you to see or admit that positive body of evidence even if it exists um, so a, a metaphysical naturalist shouldn't be a methodological naturalist because they are they should be open to the positive to the possible uh, evidence against their position but if they adopt methodological naturalism that prevents them from being open to any evidence against their position
0: okay so this is helpful and if i'm tracking with you right um we're thinking like okay let's say someone's like a metaphysical naturalist like they believe god doesn't exist and we just have the natural world one of the main justifications that people use is the problem of evil like if god exists like why is there so much suffering um and you can point to all different kinds of like degrees and kinds of the suffering uh and what you're saying here robert is that when we're thinking about this carefully we have to realize that like if you're going to make that kind of argument that's not something that just comes from like methodological naturalism. Like you're not just using like the tools of science, you're using this idea of like evil and whatnot. Um, so you can't really like be a methodological naturalist and like bring up the problem of evil. Is that what's going on here? Well, what
1: I'm saying is say we accept that evil counts against the existence of God. It doesn't disprove God, but it's evidence against God. How, how strong is that evidence? Well, if we don't have much positive evidence for God, then if we've got this negative evidence, it would count strongly against belief in God. Still with me? Um, Now, if on the other hand, we have all sorts of positive evidence for God, then when we look at evil and we say, okay, that we can't really explain, that seems to be evidence against God, we're in a position to say, but we have all this positive evidence for God that outweighs the evidence from evil against God. Now, miracles would be evidence for God or events best explained as as miracles would be evidence for God. But if we adopt methodological naturalism, we're never in a position to recognize an event as a miracle. So what happens is that the positive evidence for, for theism If your methodological naturalism is curtailed Um, so it's the philosophical naturalist the metaphysical naturalist has stopped himself or herself from looking at any positive evidence for god that would outweigh the reasons that he or she gives for not believing in god so for example the first the first claim was well there's no evidence for god well, if you adopt a method that doesn't allow you to recognize evidence for God, that's cheating. Uh, the second was, well, evil is evidence against God. Okay, suppose we say that as a theist, but I want to say prima facie. On the face of it, it's hard to say how God could allow evil. The logical, but we can't say, well, evil logically disproves God. That's been given up by philosophers. So if we say, well, evil is evidence against God. How seriously should we take that evidence will depend on whether there's good positive evidence for God. Now, again, if you adopt methodological naturalism, you're ruling out the possibility of recognizing positive evidence for God in the form of say miracles or the need to explain things in terms of supernatural
0: causes. Okay, that's helpful. Anything else you want to say, Robert, on this before we look at like some problems for theists who might be methodological naturalists? Um, Well, one thing I would say, and
1: this is in the article that uh, that led you to uh, talk to me. Some people want to say, well, couldn't we just apply methodological naturalism provincially? Couldn't we just apply it in some scientific disciplines and not others? Um, I don't think that's going to work very well. Uh, For example, psychologists want to be uh, viewed as as scientists. Um, If somebody says, well, we shouldn't apply methodological naturalism in psychology, and I say, why? And they say, well, uh, because the human isn't a purely physical being. Uh, The point is that science tends to say that it can explain anything that happens in the world, and it's going to be difficult to give a non-arbitrary reason that doesn't involve some kind of metaphysical commitment uh, to say well i'm going to use it over here but i'm not going to use it over here but we could go on to the uh, to the other point um, another criticism i gave
0: okay yeah let's do it So the um, question then here, sorry, I was I was like, are you going to talk or I'm going to okay. talk? But I'll go. Um, go is, like, one thing you talk about is like there's a problem for theists um, who are methodological naturalists. Um, what's this problem, Robert?
1: Well, the problem is if you're a methodological naturalist, um, you're going to be tempted to say that God always achieves his purposes through the instrumentality of secondary causes i mentioned the tides before so we might say well god causes the tides but god causes the tides by creating uh uh bodies that uh by by creating bodies that have uh the a power to attract one another gravity okay so god creates the earth sorry god creates the material world uh we have coming about out of the uh, properties that things have uh the formation of say planets uh, the formation of the earth and the moon uh, the nature of the moon having mass and the nature of the earth having mass is that there's gravitational attraction and the gravitational attraction of the moon acts on the fluid on earth on the water so we think of god as creating the tides indirectly through the properties of the things that he created and upholds secondary causes. Um, And it's clear that God uh, does work through the instrumentality of secondary causes. As a theist, I don't think everything that happens in the world is a miracle. Okay. Um, However, as a christian theist i think there are some events that happen that cannot be simply explained in terms of the properties of secondary causes so throughout um, throughout history we have certain events that people took as signs and wonders as miracles and they took these things because they're so wonderful. They're so on. Uh, uh, so out of the normal or natural that they uh, took it to be a sign of uh, what God wanted to uh, to impart. So uh, take the Old Testament story of Elijah's contest with the prophets of Baal. Uh, you have uh, you have the worship of Jehovah being undermined uh and you have uh elijah calling together these prophets of baal false god uh you have elijah saying okay we're going to have a contest um who calls down fire from heaven that's the per that's the indication of who has the correct understanding of the divine uh, and The story goes that the uh um, the false priests of baal or the priests of baal they do all they can but they can't call down fire from heaven elijah says okay i'm going to call down fire from heaven and uh, burn up this sacrifice or take perhaps another example (coughs) the uh, narrative in the new testament of jesus multiplying loaves and fishes In our experience loaves don't just multiply fish don't just multiply Uh, so this seems to be an event that would not occur if nature were just left to itself and that's what we mean by a miracle people don't come back from the dead after three days being dead if nature is just left to itself okay so The problem with adopting methodological naturalism is you've adopted uh, a method which says, well, whenever you come across an event, you must give it a natural explanation. Well, if you're a methodological naturalist and you come across the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, if you think that actually happened, or you think that Jesus actually was back to life after three days, what you have to say is somehow that was just implicit in the order of nature. Um, Now, traditionally, historically, theists have said God not only acts indirectly through natural causes, but also on occasion acts directly. The other thing that can happen is suppose somebody says, well, I'm going to be a methodological naturalist as a scientist when I'm wearing my scientific hat but when I'm wearing my religious hat, I'm going to talk of miracles. It seems to me that that would involve you in something of a schizophrenic attitude. Um, So if I'm a scientist looking at the Jesus coming back to life after three days, I say, well, there must be a natural explanation. But if I'm a Christian scientist, I have to say as a Christian, well, that was also a miracle. Um, How is this going to work? Now, what i'm uh, suggesting is uh, that really uh, people who uh, are scientists whether they be a theist or a non-theist they shouldn't be a methodological naturalist Um, if you're looking for for truth then presumably you should be open to um, the possibility that sometimes events don't have a natural cause
0: Yeah, it seems like in your view, Robert, like what I've been understanding you uh, as you've been going through this interview is like we're thinking like when we're doing like the project of science or the project of history. We shouldn't before we get to our investigation, just narrow down to like a certain subset of causes. Um, We should really keep our minds open with regards to all the possible views. And I think you could do that and still say like, hey, even like with scientific questions, like let's not be methodological naturalists, but hey, let's put like weight towards naturalism here and let's go from there. And if there's not a good explanation, well, let's think about it even further and see if it looks like there'd be like agency or things like that. So I think exactly. it's kind of a approach.
1: Yeah. Um, now, sometimes people will say, well, if you reject methodological naturalism, you're going to commit the fallacy of God of the gaps. Um now here, if people want to uh, look a little deeper after our talk, uh, there, is a, uh, there is an article I wrote a number of years ago, and I believe it's free on the internet, but it's called, uh, is there anything wrong with God of the gaps reasoning? Um, so people might want to look at that if they want to go a little deeper after what I say here. Um, the God of the gaps is, uh, a version, or it's suggested it's a version of what's known as the fallacy of ignorance uh, argumentum ignorantium in the latin and that is to say uh, just because you haven't proven something is the case you're not entitled to say well it's not the case or just because you haven't proven that something is not the case you're not entitled to prove that it is the case. Let me give you an example that's often widely used. Suppose somebody says, well, nobody has ever proved that ghosts don't exist. And then they say, so that means that ghosts exist. Um, That would be, that, that would simply be bad reasoning. Or suppose somebody says, well, you haven't proven that that mushroom is poisonous. You know, we're out in the woods on a walk. And I say to you, okay, let's pick that mushroom and have it for supper. And uh, you say to me, uh, well, uh, maybe that mushroom is poisonous. And I say, well, we haven't proven that it's poisonous. Therefore, it's not poisonous. That would be really bad reasoning. So people often say, well, if you claim that God did something, that's simply an expression of ignorance. That's simply saying, well, because we haven't yet given a natural explanation that doesn't mean it uh that it doesn't have one and then they go back to what i mentioned as the inductive justification of methodological naturalism they say well uh look uh science has been so successful in giving natural explanations we should uh hold out and say that there will be a natural explanation well that would take us back to the earlier argument i made (laughs) sometimes the progress of science undermines uh giving a natural explanation makes it even less likely as we know more and more so as we know more and more about the chemistry of wine it makes it even less easy to explain how wine sorry how water could turn into wine uh, by jesus simply saying let this happen um The other point that is made here is that events we call miracles. They occur within a wider teleological pattern. Um, A very good on this uh, topic is uh, Stephen Meyer in his books on intelligent design uh, signature in the cell and uh, Darwin's uh, Darwin's uh, dilemma. but a point here concerning, say, miracle or the origin of life, as another example, would be that what we're explaining uh, is not just simply a, uh, an anomaly. Rather, it uh, occurs within a pattern where agency is often evident. Um, so, for example, if we're talking about the origin of life, when we look at the cell and what's in the cell we find things that uh, are uh, basically machines they have all the structures they're highly sophisticated nano machines in fact people you'll have scientists describing this the cell as a factory you'll have talk of a code the genetic code information in the code you'll have proteins described as machines well the structures that we're observing those are structures that we typically uh, see as being produced by intelligent agency Um, so it's not simply well here is something that we just can't explain it's that here is something that we routinely explain in terms of intelligent agency now when we come to the question of miracles say um take and again distinguish the question of whether an event occurred from its best explanation okay when we talk about a miracle we've got two questions one did the event occur and two is it a miracle because to call an event a miracle is to talk about its cause okay it's not simply to say here's a here's an event it's to say here is what caused the event so when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, we don't simply say Jesus is back from the dead. Wow. We say the resurrection of Jesus was produced by by God, by divine intervention. Okay? So if we were to take as an example, say, the account of the virgin birth, this young woman, Mary, doesn't simply find herself... Uh, inexplicably pregnant, like she doesn't say, oh, okay, here I am, Uh, I'm four months pregnant and I have no idea how this happened. You know, I haven't had sex, I have no idea, it's just there. Well, notice that the account isn't that. It's not only that, uh, it's not only that Mary uh, is pregnant, It's that Mary is told by God that she will be pregnant and what will be the reason for her being pregnant. Uh, Joseph has a very natural, if I can use that word, uh, reaction to Mary's pregnancy. What does Joseph want to do when he finds out that Mary's pregnant? Uh, Well, being a good guy, he says, I'm going to quietly break this engagement. I know that people don't normally get pregnant without sex. I know that I haven't had sex with uh, with Mary. Um, She must have been uh, unfaithful. Uh, So what changes Joseph's mind? His dreams he has. So surrounding that event of Mary, a virgin, finding herself pregnant is a whole teleological pattern. Or let me give another example um paul on the damascus road um paul is uh paul is struck down he has this experience he's told to go into damascus he's struck blind okay what happens at the same time is that a man ananias is praying and ananias is told by god uh go lay your hands on saul uh to relieve him of the blindness and i'm going to tell uh saul paul um that he's going to be my uh, spokesperson how much he must suffer what's an ananias's reaction is he says are you sure because this guy is coming to uh, persecute us okay but you have as it were this whole pattern of not only is saul struck blind uh He's healed by a man who, uh, in prayer, uh, is given a message from God to give to Saul. Or if you think about Peter and Cornelius, Peter has this uh, vision of a sheep being let down with animals in there that he's told to kill and eat. And he says, no, but those are unclean. The same time Cornelius, a Gentile, is told send send uh, people to get Peter, and what you have is the whole uh, understanding of the Jews who uh, felt that uh, God was simply for the Jewish people and not for the Gentiles. You have Peter being taken out of his uh, mindset of this is only for the uh, this is only for the Jews, and Cornelius, the gospel is going to the uh, the gospel is going to the Gentiles. So you have this pattern. It's not just oh, we've got this strange event that we can't understand it's that we have this wondrous event that uh, expresses uh, what god wants done in the world i've carried on a long time on that but i I hope it makes some kind of sense
0: yeah i think it does make sense and i think it's helpful that like we can just say that like when we're looking at like thinking about miracles um you brought up a good job you did a really good job of bringing up how like the context matters like if you look at things like the resurrection or like Paul's conversion. Like these are things with a lot of like religious context surrounding them that can help us to like understand that they are miracles and like what's going on there. Um, yeah. And that, that gives one us thing a I'm wondering though.
1: Go ahead. Sorry.
0: No, you're good. Um, Well, I guess what I was going to say is the one thing I wondered is like, what about like people will claim miracles are happening today with like healings or things like that? Um, is there less of a religious context now? Or like, how does that fit into the picture?
1: um well I, just before i go there uh, i want to give one other example um, i was uh, in a thunderstorm one time at my home and uh, i was lying in bed and there was all this very loud thunder lightning very close and i heard my mother in the night say oh what's that and in the morning i asked her about what i'd heard And she told me that a a ball of blue light had floated in a window, hovered over her bed for a short time and then floated out the other window. Now, there's a pretty amazing, unusual event, but I did not have the slightest uh, inclination to take it as a miracle because there's no surrounding context that would make it, you know, uh, reasonable to view it as God somehow sending me a message or sending my mother a message. Okay. Now you mentioned uh, miracles happening today. Uh, I think very often there's a context. We've also been, uh, I'm not a cessationalist. I'm not a dispensationalist. I I do take seriously that miracles continue to happen. Um, a very good book here that I will recommend is Greg Keener's a two-volume book on miracles. And he has more recently a shorter book, uh, Miracles Today. Um, if somebody wants to... Uh, look at yet another book on miracle. Um, I could recommend my own book, a uh, philosophical book, um, the legitimacy of miracle in it. I give an appendix in which I, uh, discuss and chronicle, uh, some cases that I've come across. Um, so for example, uh, we take it as part of God's nature that he's merciful. So when, uh, say, when prayer occurs and people are healed dramatically, uh, there does seem to be a context there that would uh, make it appropriate to view it as something that God would do.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, that's really helpful, Robert. Um, Here's something I'm wondering, like maybe like getting towards like the scientific examples. um, Some people might say that like, not accepting mythological naturalism as like a science stopper. Like we're looking at the origin of life and it's okay. Like, hey, like, let's just stop the science. Um, forget about what's going to happen in the next hundred years. We're just, you're just trying to like pull the brakes on like origin of life research. Or you could give examples of some people would say like evolutionary theory or cosmology. Like um, when we don't accept mythological naturalism, we're really pulling the brakes on science and stopping it. Uh, how would you respond to this kind of objection?
1: I think that's a very common and a very bad uh, objection. As I say it's very, very common. Uh, first, um, people who, say, want to give a naturalistic explanation of the origin of life, uh, they can keep going. Uh, say somebody is an atheist and they say, well, look, suppose I accept that Jesus came to life after three days being dead. Suppose I have to accept that event. But I don't want to call it a miracle. I want to give a natural explanation. And I'm going to say... Go for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Just uh, do do not tell me that you have that explanation and explain to me why you think that you will get it. Because as I say, the induction goes the other way. The more we know about human physiology, the harder it is to give that explanation. The more we know about the cell the harder it is to talk about how we could get that without design, but nothing in what I've said says that people who want to pursue the possibility of a natural explanation uh, can't go ahead and try and do it. Um, In fact, uh, what I'm suggesting is let hypothesis flourish. Uh, Put design on the table for the Mm origin of life. And of course, if somebody can give a natural explanation that is plausible, then Occam's razor will get rid of the supernatural explanation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, I'm happy to uh, I'm happy to let people with a different view try and give a different explanation. Okay,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that's the first point. It doesn't stop science at all. Um, second explanations do stop somewhere now in principle we say that all explanations all scientific explanations are in principle revisable sure in principle but take for example the scientific claim that your heart pumps the blood or that the blood circulates in your body how easy is it going to be to overthrow that I mean, in, pr- in in practice, we say, look, we have an explanation of why the blood circulates in the body. It's that the heart pumps it. Now, there may be all sorts of <clears throat> technical details to put around that that we get to know more and more. But what would it take to say we're wrong in our claim that the heart pumps the blood? That the explanation of the blood circulating is the heart pumping it. So, um In principle, yeah, you could say we could be mistaken, but it's very hard to think that we in actuality could be mistaken. So explanations do tend to end somewhere. Mm -hmm. If it's a good explanation, we're justified in accepting it. And we're justified in accepting it until we have reasons not to accept it.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, What what I really like about um, what you're saying here, Robert, is that like by rejecting methodological naturalism, like this isn't undercutting science. This isn't like anything like that. It's just saying like, Hey, we need to have like non naturalist explanations on the table. It doesn't doesn't mean that like, Oh, like God has to be the most likely explanation for every unknown question. It's just like, Hey, we should just at least consider these things. when we're thinking about this and let's keep researching um, and keep going, but let's just like, at least have the option on the table that maybe there isn't all just like a naturalist kind of framework.
1: Yeah. Just let there be a place at the table. And in principle, suppose it's very difficult to define science. Like if you ask people for a definition of science, it's very difficult to get a, a clear cut definition. But suppose we say that science is the search for natural causes, a disciplined search for natural causes. Suppose we were to say that. Well, there's no guarantee that in a disciplined search for natural causes, we're always going to find natural causes. So for example, if we take um big bang theory (laughs) the beginning of the universe our best science seems to suggest that the universe had an absolute beginning so we went as far back as we could in tracing natural causes and we came to something that we can't give a natural cause for Hmm. okay now arguably science has done that in the case of the origin of the universe why would it not be possible for us to come to the same conclusion concerning the origin of life i'm not saying that we have but i'm saying maybe when we conduct a disciplined search for natural causes and we give it our best shot our best effort uh, we devote all sorts of resources to it maybe sometimes we will come to the conclusion that for certain events We cannot explain them completely in terms of natural causes. Arguably, we've done that in the case of the origin of the universe. Uh, It may be that we have to come to that conclusion regarding say the origin and develop uh, the origin of life or certain developments in life's history. Uh, It may be that we in investigating uh, certain events, say certain healings, that we would come to the conclusion No, there's not a natural cause there. Now, indeed, uh, I distinguished between two questions earlier. Uh, One, did the event occur? And two, what's its explanation? In the case of life, we can't deny that life is there. So our tendency has been to deny that it needs a supernatural explanation. In the case of miracles, Uh, many people want to say, well, uh, they would be so hard to explain naturalistically that we don't think they actually happened. Mm -hmm. That begs the question. The question of whether an event occurred is a different question from what's its best explanation. And the Mm -hmm. criteria for answering those are different. So let me give you a uh, example that, uh, is a bit of a warning. At one time, uh, meteorites, the famous French astronomer, Laplace, Laplace would not accept testimony to the uh, fact of stones sometimes falling out of the sky. He said, it's only ignorant peasants that report that. Mm -hmm. And he rejected that on the basis that there was no room in his scientific theory for such events happening. Mm Um, so we need to be careful when people report say things that look like miracles that we don't say or that the atheist doesn't say if they're going to be fair well there's no room in my theory for that i can't explain that naturalistically so it couldn't have happened Uh, rather uh, we should ask did it really happen and then ask and is our theory adequate to its explanation so we shouldn't let theory trump evidence we should allow we should allow ourselves to go where the evidence takes us and -hmm. that's a reason why i don't like methodological naturalism it doesn't allow us to go where the evidence takes us
0: okay that's very helpful robert um one more like objection here is like the question of like what about a view of something like a liberal naturalism um maybe people are like hey like this consciousness problem this hard problem of consciousness is pretty hard um uh, maybe consciousness is just non-physical um but we can still be naturalists and you can say the same thing about maybe moral truths or like maybe even like teleological like structure um but in a, like a naturalist framework uh can these make sense of like in like salvage methodological naturalism what are your thoughts here robert
1: yeah, there's something called liberal naturalism, and some people are attracted to liberal naturalism because typically naturalism uh, exacts a very high price. So, for example, a very very good uh, philosopher of mind, Yagwon Kim, who was a uh, a metaphysical naturalist, he made a very strong case that if you're a metaphysical naturalist, uh, mental states don't have any causal efficacy so what Mm -hmm. he meant by that is they don't cause anything whatever happens was not caused by your mental state so um if you uh if you react to what you think is an insult it wasn't because your mental state was you know i was insulted it was something else going on so you have people who are naturalists talking about the hard problem of consciousness you have Mm uh people who are struggling with the uh, science around the uh, origin of life. Um, You have naturalists who are saying, well, if naturalism is the case, it's very difficult to get uh, objective morality. So liberal naturalists, Mm -hmm. they want to say, well, look, can't we get uh, mental states as having causal uh, power Can't we talk about genuine human agency? Can't we talk about moral norms? Uh, Well, two comments I'd make here. One, it's not evident that you can get that out of naturalism. So you have people who are saying, I don't like those results of naturalism. I wanna be a naturalism without those. But Mm -hmm. then you have to ask, are they being consistent in their naturalism? Um, Second, if one wants to be a liberal naturalist, setting that aside even if you could get it um it would seem strange if they allow that we can allow the legitimacy explaining certain events in terms of a conscient conscious agent purposefully exerting causal influence in the world so if the liberal naturalist says okay people actually by making choices by exercising their intelligence bring about things in the world and we can recognize when they do It'd be very strange then to rule out saying, well, we could recognize supernatural agency bringing about certain events in the world. So once you admit agency into explanation, and it's not clear how methodological naturalism could do that, but once you do that, it's going to be arbitrary to rule out non human intelligent agency in the world.
0: Okay, so that's helpful Robert. Um, One thing I want to do before we wrap up is like talk about the importance of like tolerance in this discussion. It seems like to me like we've done a, like one of the big points to to bring home here is like we just need to have like tolerance of other views. um, Help us and just like kind of like look at like what's the best explanation and just like have a pretty open mind about what those explanations could be. So, in your view Robert, like why is tolerance such an important part of this discussion?
1: There's always a tendency for us to uh, indulge in name-calling and ad hominem arguments. Ad hominem argument is when you don't deal with a person's argument, rather you dismiss them on the basis of their personality or you don't like them. Um, a very bad example here uh, is Dave Farina. Um, he's been very critical of James Tour and uh, Farina uh There was a debate between him and James Tour, a lot of name calling by Farina. Um, When you call names and when you say, well, uh, I can dismiss your argument because I don't like your personality, uh, that's not really effective in a genuine search for truth. So if I'm to be open to the possibility of being mistaken, if my opponent is open to the possibility of being mistaken, then we have to... uh, we have to treat each other fairly and we have to exhibit what is known as the principle of charity. That is to say, mm-hmm. when I interpret somebody, I put the best reading on what they say that the, what they said actually allows. Um, so a genuine search for truth requires open and fair discussion of differing points of view. And, uh, you know, it can be a lot of fun just to dismiss somebody on, uh, you know, well, they're just a crazy Christian, or they're just a stupid atheist, um, or, you know, because I was brought up a certain way, I have to think a certain way. Um, Well, that really doesn't deal with the arguments. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, uh, sometimes, maybe not all that often, as we would wish, but sometimes people are actually persuaded by argument. Uh, So Mm -hmm. sometimes people change their mind and come over to another position on the basis of being good reasons of being given good reasons. Um, mm. So, um, yeah. Uh, and we we can't, uh, and here I'm speaking as a Christian, um, if I'm hoping to uh, show that somebody is wrong, um, well, it's fair enough to criticize their argument, but I can't do so in a way that's hateful to them as a person.
0: Um, mm-hmm. So, one thing I'm thinking about here, Robert, like is as we wrap up, is there any like last thoughts or things you want to say before we close up shop here today?
1: Um, What I would say is go out and look. um, Actually, read some people on both sides. So, for example, if you're looking at intelligent design um, uh, arguments, actually do some reading. Don't simply look at what the critics say about it. Similarly, if I'm on the other side, uh, actually take seriously some of the criticisms. Uh, uh, There's a nice story about one of the people who's at Discovery Institute, Gunter Beckley. Um, He was actually in charge of a museum and they were doing an exhibit for Darwin. And they were going to uh, do the exhibit with a visual aids where they had a balance and they were gonna show all the books and materials and articles that have been written uh in support of the darwinian uh theory of evolution and on the other side they were going to show the much smaller number of books that were uh, on say intelligent design uh, and he as a matter of uh, intellectual integrity thought that well if i'm going to do this i should actually read some of the uh intelligent design material and uh when he did that he actually came over to the intelligent design position uh, he was persuaded by the arguments now maybe he was maybe he was wrong in his persuasion that could be argued who knows but the point is that uh, he actually looked at the arguments of the other side and found that those arguments weren't bad arguments so you know uh, if christianity is true then ultimately we uh, can't be afraid of truth Uh, but we need to not be superficial in our investigation so uh, some areas uh, you're best to stay out of unless you're going to look at them in depth Uh, but if you are uh, worried about something then look at it in depth and uh, have the trust that uh, truth
0: will out yeah. Um, all for truth, for sure. Robert, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate your time um, and just everything you laid out today. I feel like this is super informative and there's so much for me to learn uh, and think about through this and thank you for sticking through all my technical difficulties. Um, never had the power go out in the middle of a podcast before, but I mean, we got through it today. Um, so thank you. And how can people like follow you, connect with you, things like that? Yeah.
1: Um- I do have a website, I think if you uh, type in robertlarmer.com, that there's a website there. Uh, It isn't quite as full as I uh, uh, hope to get it, uh, but there are some of my articles there and I occasionally blog there. Um, My email uh, is rlarmer at unb.ca. You have that, Zach, so you can feel free if there are people that want to contact me to pass that on. And if you do a search, a Google search on Robert Larmer, uh, I imagine that you'll find uh, writings that I've that I've done uh, and you can uh, can look at those further. But yeah, I'm uh, I don't have oodles and oodles of time. But if people have questions uh, that uh, that they want to ask, uh, I'm happy to be contacted and I'll do my best either to answer them or uh, give you a good resource or a good person uh, to whom to talk.
0: Well, I'd love that. And I encourage people, if you're listening, um, I know you have a, a pretty decent sized like skeptic audience that listens to this a lot. Um, feel free to leave a comment. But also, like we have an amazing uh, philosopher here offering to answer your questions. So feel free to email him. Um, I'll leave a contact link to him in the description in some way, shape or form. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on today, Robert. I really appreciate your time. Thank you to everyone who listened today. Um, this is here in Apologetics. If you value what we do, be sure to subscribe and leave a like. Uh, and if you wanted to support more, you can become a patron at projects so We have a goal of just getting one new patron a month, and you can do that for as little as just a dollar a month. Um, and that'd be huge if you could support the show out a little bit. Uh, but Robert, one last time, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate your time.
1: Well, thank you for having me. And uh, I hope that uh, at least some of this made some sense to you. And I your... think it made a lot
0: of sense. Uh, so <laughs> okay. thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a good one, and God bless. Yeah, take care.